The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show, everybody listening everywhere. Thank you so much for being with us today. We have a really wonderful show, especially for those of you who have a great big old heart for the animals. We're going to be talking in just a minute with Tara Kandro, who's a memoirist. Her book is Zen Sage Cat Body. And after the first break, we'll bring on Patrice Jones, the eco-feminist scholar and co-founder of Vine Sanctuary, a farmed animal sanctuary in Vermont. But before we bring on the guests, I just want to update you about what's going on around here. It's been a rather interesting and kind of exciting week. Uh, in my life because I don't think of myself as a very controversial person. I'm sort of a peacemaker and I'm always looking for ways to kind of bring everybody's thinking into some sort of, of togetherness. But I did write something on January 30th for the Huffington Post and it was called An Open Letter to Bill Clinton, The Once and Future Vegan. Because he went on the Rachel Ray show, and as we kind of figured for a long time, he has a new doctor, and he's no longer identifying as plant-based. So I just wrote a letter in response to some of the things that were said on the show, things like that his new doctor is saying that it's hard for vegans to lose weight and that we eat too much starch and we can't get high-quality protein. And I was just thinking, shucks. You know, if you want to do something different, that's your choice, but let's not badmouth the vegans on the way out. So I wrote what I thought was a very respectful and, you know, kind of humorous and nice, but informative as well letter. And the Huffington Post wanted all kinds of documentation. So I sent that and then they wanted the documentation in a different format. And finally, after 11 days, they said, no, we're just not going to print it. So I put it on the Main Street Vegan blog. Uh, that's MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. Um, you can find it there. And if you're listening to this sometime in the far future, that would be the blog from February 10th, 2015. And it's been getting a lot of circulation, and most people have been very nice, and some people have said things like, well, he's only eating fish. And it's like, but that's not the point. The point is when you leave something, I think, and I'm really learning this for myself, for any time in the future, if I ever leave an organization or a, a board or or anything, to just leave 
and not say, oh, they did all these terrible things to just, you know, God bless them. And now I'm going on to something else. And you never know. One could come back as in the once and future vegan. So that's been my excitement for the week. Blessings to uh, all persons, including those who have been presidents. <laughs> what a world. What a funny world, especially now that we have social media and we're all so connected. Well, at this moment, I would like to connect you with someone wonderful, Tara Condro. Her book, as I said, is Zen Sage Cat Body, a magical, mystical memoir. Tara's message is, animals are us. She says, I am a mammal. We all feel. This book has to do with her wonderful cat companion, Muktiji, who became such because the veils are thinning now for us humans to recognize we are not separate from the earth, animals, and all beings. Welcome, Tara. Hi. Hello, Victoria. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's lovely to hear your melodious voice. I know that you're a performer and a book narrator, and that certainly shows just in in that sentence. So fill us in on who you are and how this book came into being. Well, um, since a child, I've had a very intimate connection with uh, animals and nature. And uh, Muktiji came to my life as a Maine Coon cat. He was, you know, off the street. He was feral. And then a few years after we had been living together, um, I began to open myself up clairvoyantly and I connected with him telepathically. And in that way, I could then communicate with him. So um, he uh, is, he was a being, he's no longer in his Maine Coon cat body, who, um, well, when I first sat down and made a connection with him, his presence just um, washed all over me. And it was just felt like a gentle wave of faith. And it was deeply, deeply rooted in now um, with a heartfelt knowledge of unquestionable wisdom. And that felt like non, non-cat-like, not, you know, this isn't an ordinary cat like Stanley and Ernie and Martha, these other cats I had. So um, that's how I began to connect with him as more than a cat. Whoa. This is very interesting to me because I have loved every companion animal who's been part of my life. But we have had a couple of cats over the years. I'm thinking of of one, Benjamin and Albert. They were just what you're saying. No, somebody major is living in this cat body at this moment. So how did your being vegan tie into all this? Well, I was a vegetarian. I became vegetarian in 1979 when I started doing yoga and, you know, ahimsa. And then I took a vow um, a few years later to delete violence from within me, from past lives, this lives, and future lives. So this is my mission on the planet, right? And so I was vegetarian. I didn't really connect my body didn't like dairy but depending on where i was traveling or where i was living in the world i ate dairy and then you know i would eat eggs and uh but after i wrote this book i realized that in order for me to walk my talk of how i can live in unity consciousness and with a heart-centric consciousness, I needed to completely become vegan because I, w- I was living in Dublin at the time in the winter, and my body just craved butter, and it craved creamy things. And I said, well, it's cold. Okay, I'll give it. I don't usually eat it, but okay, fine. And then I realized, once I re- made the choice... Uh, for me to completely come into being a vegan, I said, wow, this is like this food I'm eating is violence disguised as comfort. Ooh, <laughs> that's powerful. Yeah. And that made just, just all these ripples of connections with me, you know. It's like, right, I get it now. I get it. Yeah. That is so interesting. And the whole cravings thing is so fascinating. There's so much out in the world now about if you crave something, it means you need it. 
But I say, and in my new book, The Good Karma Diet, cravings are vestiges of past loves. <laughs> We're looking yes. for something from, from a previous place to make us feel better today. Yes, I agree. That's been, that's my experience also. And we can choose to embrace what that feels like, what that past is, and come into living now. And when we're completely living now, well, we're in ecstasy. We're in connected. We're, you know, we don't feel violence. We don't want anything. We just want to be present here and now and alive. So. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting what you were saying about your cats, because and actually when I did ask Muktiji um, what his purpose was for coming into um, being a cat this time, you, you said a little bit about it in the intro, but his exact words were, humanity is now ready to relate to animals as teachers and healers. The mm-hmm. concepts and perceptions that separate humans and animals are falling apart. This is why many of us sages are choosing to incarnate as pet companions at this time. Whoa. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Wow. He was a Zen cat, so it was all funny stuff. I mean, it wasn't. <laughs> you know, it's profound, but it's like, it's like, yeah. So, and I have, I know a woman who lives in uh, Australia and she's a vegan animal communicator, done a lot of this work for most of her life. And she rescued cats, you know, and a, and a couple years ago, she had all these cats in her living room and she was tuning in and she's an animal communicator. And that's exactly what they were saying was about cats coming in as sages in, in Australia. Well, that's fascinating because, oh golly, it had to have been 1993, I was doing an article for the old East-West Journal and was interviewing an animal communicator. She was in California. I was in Kansas City. We were talking on a regular phone. This was way before Skype or anything. Yeah. Benjamin jumped on my lap, and in that instance, the animal communicator stopped her sentence and said, Oh, that cat's an old soul and a healer, and then just went on. After the parenthesis. So I think what you're telling me, Tara, and what your beautiful book is going to be saying to people along with a whole lot of wonderful um, wisdom channeled through Mukti is let's just give everybody a lot more respect. Yes. Yes. The, the yes. body is one thing. The being might be quite a bit more. Yes. The being inside of the body, that's who we really are. That is who we are. And we all are love, and we all want to be love. And so when we really give ourselves permission to love ourselves and to be that, and our food is how we nourish ourselves, you know, we nourish ourselves emotionally, physically, spiritually, all these different ways, but the food is the primal way. So when we really feel that connection with ourselves and our body and the food and we eat it with a conscious, with an awake way, then we get the whole chain. You know, we get the whole chain of the food and all the way back to the earth. So, um, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. easy because we're going to eat anyway. We may as well eat uh, <laughs> kindness and ahimsa. Now, you say something interesting here in the notes that you sent me. You talked about each of us humans as mammals are divinely endowed with a will to create a thriving life for all species. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that because obviously we know a lot of people probably wouldn't say, oh, yeah, we see that every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's what the, the teachings of the earth and the animals have given me, is that I have come to be living more completely in my animal nature, which is the instinct, okay, that's that piece. But we're also, as humans, we are designed to be conscious and awake, and we have a will as to create. Muktiji can't create... Um, you know, cathedrals and, and, and whatever. The animal, that's not what they're designed to do. But we are. We are human beings and we're designed to, you know, do that. So, I don't know. That's just my experience. Well, I, I love to, you say, as conscious creators, we are given the mission to be stewards of this earth ship. And I think that whole concept, you know, the dominion in, in the book of Genesis and that has been misaligned 
over centuries that we're supposed to dominate, but to be stewards, that's something entirely different. Yes, I feel like we're stepping into that right now as as humanity. It's been amazing the last 30 years, all the shifts and changes in, that we have become actually more kind, more compassionate. And, um, and so it's exciting. It's very, very exciting. But yeah, for me, I'm coming from a background of violence, of uh, as a trauma expert working all over the world. And so this dominated, dominated, dominator, dominated kind of relationship is starting to shape shift shape shift now and the most intimate choice we can make is the one with how we feed ourselves in terms of food you know to shape shift that so violence is no longer disguised as comfort violence from the animals the farming the people who kill them the blah 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 you know so it's a perfect circle Yes. Uh, Tara Kandrev's website is truehumanmedia.com. And now speaking to you, I totally know why you call your website <laughs> True Human Media. This is really a sweet, sweet book. Oh my gosh. It's a little book. It's a, it's a quick read. Everything about it is lovely. There's a beautiful little line drawing of a cat seen from behind, and his little tail curls into a heart. I mean, it's just perfect. Oh, I, I can, did that. You know, it's self-published, so who's going to do that? I can't pay anybody, so I did it. That was my first public drawing. <laughs> well, it, it's it's beautiful, and maybe you, you had a little bit of uh, Mukti uh, <laughs> channeling that, too, because it's quite lovely. Our time is up, but let me just read for everybody as I encourage them to check out Zen Sage Cat Body on Amazon and everywhere else that books are sold. This richly layered love story playfully guides you on a humorous yet profound journey through the portal connecting the mystical with the mundane. So if you're someone who is fascinated by something called a magical mystical memoir, check out Zen Sage Cat Body and Tara's site, truehumanmedia.com. Thank you so much, Tara. Thank you for your work in the world and for spending some time with us today on the Main Street Vegan Show. Oh, thank you so much. Om Swastiyastu. Many blessings. Oh, bless you back. Thanks so much. And everybody else, please stay with us through these messages. And we are going to be on with eco-feminist Patrice Jones. Share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. notice that there might be something not quite right but you just can't put your finger on it we may describe it as an inner stirring a restlessness a yearning to find our way home to our heart and higher purpose 
Some of us may feel like we are living on borrowed time, that despite our accomplishments, what was once so important to us now just feels empty and meaningless. If you find your heart longing, wanting, looking for a path home to authenticity and purpose, join us for transformation, inspiration, hope, and possibility. Move toward your higher calling. Listen to The Call of Spirit with Evelyn Foreman and tune in to Possibility every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is my pleasure now to introduce to you Someone who literally impressed the heck out of me. When I heard Patrice Jones speak at the Animal Rights Conference in Washington, D.C., in I believe it was 2013, I could have listened to her for a week. And I checked the program to see every time she was going to be speaking and I was going to follow her around and be like a stalker because I was so fascinated with the depth of truth and conviction coming out of this woman's mouth, particularly her understanding of, of burnout and activism and what people go through who, who are blessed, I hope it's blessed, with a heart for other species and, and really for rectifying injustice of all kinds. So it's a great pleasure to have her on the show today. Patrice Jones is a co-founder of Vine Sanctuary in Vermont. That is a farmed animal sanctuary celebrating its 15th anniversary this year. As an eco-feminist activist and scholar, Patrice writes and speaks frequently about the intersections of different forms of oppression with speciesism. Her latest book, The Oxen at the Intersection, teaches vegan and animal advocates how to take such intersections into account. The website for the Vine Sanctuary, and it's just so cute because we're hearing bird chirps in the background, is bravebirds.org. Welcome, Patrice. Thank you so much, Victoria. And that's brave birds like uh, courageous chickens. That's beautiful. This is the way that Got I it. remember it. <laughs> org. Now, I want to jump right in with the new book, The Oxen at, okay. the, Oxen at the Intersection, because people who listen to this show regularly recall when James McWilliams was on the show, and he talked a little bit about Lou and Bill, and you have taken their story and really reported on it. I consider this investigative reporting and also an infinitely readable book about these two guys. Tell us about them. Well, we can't tell you very much about Bill and Lou um, themselves, uh, they, uh, 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 we never had the chance to bring them to a sanctuary, so we never, they never had the opportunity to become themselves, um, after the trauma of having been yoked and, and used as farm implements for, for many, many years. So really all that we can say about Bill and Lou themselves is that they had gone as uh, calves to a college called Green Mountain College, uh, had been whipped, trained into submission, um, uh, and then used to plow fields with a wooden yoke for many, many years. They also marched in town parades and staged exhibitions of human control over them, such as dragging concrete blocks back and forth uh, for many years. And then eventually, uh, uh, one of them, Lou, uh, uh, stepped in a gopher hole and injured his ankle. Uh, the injury was the equivalent of a sprained ankle for us, not life-threatening, but it meant that he couldn't work anymore. 
And since he couldn't work anymore, and thus the team, as a team, couldn't work anymore, what the college decided to do was to kill them and uh, serve them as hamburgers in the school cafeteria. Uh, many, many people, including many alumni of the college and many local citizens who had come to love Bill and Lou over the years, were horrified by uh, this idea and uh, asked us as a Vermont animal sanctuary to offer refuge uh, to the oxen. And so we did offer, uh, but our offer was refused. Uh, and then there was a literally worldwide viral campaign um, to try and save these two oxen, uh, which failed. And so what I wanted to know was uh, why. Why couldn't tens of thousands of people succeed in saving the lives of two oxen who everybody agreed had never done anybody any harm and their killers claimed to love? So uh, that's why I wrote the book. Um, and it turned out that... Um, we can't really understand uh, what happened in that one incident uh, without paying attention to the material and social context in which it occurred, uh, uh, meaning things like the, the particular place that it happened, the state of Vermont, the economy of Vermont, the history of Vermont, but also the social context, the social context including factors like race, and gender, uh, which would seem to not have much to do with will a college kill these two oxen, but in fact turned out to be uh, very much involved in, 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 in the controversy. Um, so I wrote the book uh, to, to answer the questions that I had about what happened. Um, and uh, I call it a case study in calamity, uh, in medicine, in psychology, uh, in lots of fields. We learn the most from our failures, but only if we have the uh, courage and discipline to look at them really clearly and think about them uh, 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 with some level of complexity. So, uh, so the book... Uh, the first half of the book just tells the story of what happened from the inside. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of people who signed petitions to save these oxen or uh, sent email messages to the college or otherwise advocated for them uh, perhaps followed uh, the controversy on blogs. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of things that were happening that they didn't realize were happening, uh, things that we were doing on site here in Vermont, uh, things that other people who are trying to uh, to rescue the oxen we're doing. Uh, so I tell the story of what happened, um, uh, 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 and, then, um, and then the other half of the book analyzes what happened. Well, it's, it's and, a and I'm glad you think it was readable because I, I wrote it. I wrote it with the intent of of tackling some pretty complicated ideas, but in a way that everybody could understand. And, and I, I believe that you succeeded. And I also just want to give a shout out to to Lantern Books. You know, so many of us say, well, you know, if I, if I can buy my whatever power cookie from a vegan outlet or somebody else i'll buy it from a vegan and lantern books has always stood for animal rights human rights and, and it's just a wonderful wonderful publishing house and the oxen at the intersection is a terrific book you know listening to you every time you said the word college i really cringed because i think so often we say to ourselves these awful things go on but most people are still ignorant. And yet, when you think of an institution of higher learning, particularly in a place like Vermont, where you have the idea, I don't know, maybe just because it's cold all winter, people have more time for higher learning. It's just a little <laughs> bit more of a heartbreak. Well, hmm. Uh, if you hear someone laughing with me, that's a parrot called Harvey. Um, uh, the, um, I, I'm glad you brought that up, and I, I think it's really important for us to pay attention to what happened in this instance, because vegan advocates often proceed 
under certain assumptions, um, assuming that if people learn this, that, or the other, uh, then they will become enlightened and they will make certain choices uh, concerning uh, the exploitation of animals or, or, or not. And uh, what we saw in this case were students who knew very well about what happens to animals. This is, uh, I know you've probably seen the slogan, it's on tote bags, uh, if slaughterhouses had windows, everybody would be vegetarian. Awesome. Uh, well, these are, these are college students who took trips to slaughterhouses to learn what happened there and still voted to kill Bill and Lou and uh, to uh, uh, and then stood behind that decision uh, 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 fiercely, uh, uh, determined to withhold mercy from them, even though they could have done so, uh, they could have been merciful with no cost to themselves at all. So... Um, so these are these are these are some challenging things to think about. They give us a. It would be wonderful to say, oh well, if we all just did this, or we all just said that, or we all just adopted this rhetoric um, or that imagery, then surely uh, we will uh, succeed. Uh, but it turns out to be to be a little more complicated than that. Uh, so, uh, so that that's definitely one of the conclusions of the book. Uh, the other is that we have to be aware that people are not the rational animals uh, that we like to pretend to be. Uh, one of the uh, elements of of many different forms of oppression, not just speciesism, but sexism and racism, is something that ecofeminists uh, sometimes call the logic of domination. This is a way of looking at the world uh, where everything is divided into binary dualisms, uh, uh, male, female, human, animal, culture, nature, reason, emotion, uh, mind, body, you get the idea. Um, and, uh, and not only are these, uh, these dualisms uh, uh, seen as if they were separate, but they're, rather than on a continuum, which is what they really are, uh, but they're also seen as opposite each other, and they're also seen as being hierarchical, with one higher than the other, human over animal, male over female, mind over matter, reason over emotion, right? Uh, and then uh, the, uh, the terms on each side of that, either the higher or the lower, are linked together. And so males are presumed to be more rational, for example, and females thought to be more emotional and closer to nature. Um, uh, it's not true. These are the stereotypes. Um, uh, and, 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 and the terms become associated with one another. And so to be human, to be human, uh, we think, is to be rational. Uh, to be human is to have control over your body, to not be your body, uh, but rather to rule your body. Um, and to be human is to not let those silly female animal emotions control you, but rather uh, to have what you do decided by reason. This is actually a pretty dangerous way of thinking, uh, but many of us still kind of sort of think that way, even though we may have consciously come to disbelieve other aspects of that paradigm. We, we no longer consciously believe that males are superior to females, and those of us who are animal advocates certainly don't consciously believe that humans are superior to animals. But we still may be walking around presuming that humans are a lot more rational uh, than we are, and that, and that reason not only should but does rule over emotions. So um, again, what we saw in, in this instance was a whole bunch of people uh, on both sides uh, who were spending enormous amounts of time uh, uh, online um, um, engaging in logical arguments with each other, um, in the course of which nothing at all changed. Nothing at all changed. And nothing at all changed because actually it wasn't those rationalizations that were the real driving force. All of the different rationalizations that were given for why they were going to or had to kill Bill and Lou um, were easily rebutted by animal advocates. But it didn't matter that we could rebut them. It didn't matter that we rebutted them again and again and again and again and again because those rational things weren't the driving force anyway.
The driving force was a lot more deeper. We know from um, from neuroscience, uh, as well as our own experiences, I hope, that um, a lot of times, uh, a lot of the thinking that we do uh, is not conscious, and a lot of the decisions we make are are rooted in in, in feelings uh, rather than conscious, rational thoughts. And by failing to take that into account, if we know that it's true that people mostly think in highly charged emotional images rather than in logical syllogisms, but we don't take that into account when we devise our strategies or our rhetoric, then how can we be surprised when we don't succeed? Wow, this is so fascinating. And it's interesting to me that just now, yesterday and today, um, something a bit similar to what happened with Lou and Bill is going on. I, I learned about uh, a racehorse who had won a great deal of money for the, the people who own her. And I know I don't like that word, but it's the word that is used. And And then she was bred and did a good job at that. And instead of retiring her to a sanctuary or even selling her to someone who would take care of her, she is being shipped um, to Canada for slaughter. And, and there are advocates trying to get her and, and not let that be her fate. And uh, I was talking with someone about that, and we think sometimes that cats, dogs, and horses get a little bit of, of kind of elevated status because more people have had direct communication with them than with animals yeah. that people regard as food, but not always. It's, um, it's tough, and we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back okay. with more wisdom from Patrice Jones. Do check out bravebirds.org and stay with us for more Main Street Vegan right after this. We are all on the journey together, making sense of this life, finding our spirituality, growing and evolving. As we travel through this world, Unity Magazine is your resource for gaining a deeper understanding of life. Unity Magazine is on the forefront of spiritual discovery, with articles and features from leading authors, teachers, and philosophers. Stimulate your thinking and strengthen your spirituality with Unity Magazine. Sample a free trial issue or subscribe today at unitymagazine.org. Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard, isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy? Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show, and I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists and students from Unity Institute and Seminary, topics like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care, religion and politics, current events. Yeah, but they'll all be Unity people, right? Dr. Tom and his students will talk about the hard questions facing all people today, sometimes joined by rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? Better. He's going to introduce a controversial topic and let students and special guests go for it. This could get explosive. Does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights? <laughs> if I know Dr. Tom, he will keep it both friendly and spirited. Whoa, I gotta hear this. When and where? The program is called Let's Talk About It, and it's on every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio. So let's talk about it. Definitely, let's. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We do have a toll-free number, 
888-668-6489 if you want to join this conversation. So, Patrice, I want to find out a little bit more about the Vine Sanctuary. I know you're celebrating your 15th anniversary. Your sanctuary is very unique. It is, as far as I know, the only GLBT-founded and run uh, animal sanctuary in the country. I know you don't segregate the animals. They're kind of more together. So hmm. tell us, tell us about Vine Sanctuary. Oh, thank you. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I know we're not the only uh, uh, LGBT-run animal sanctuary, um, and, and, and there may now be yet an, a new uh, uh, lesbian-run uh, farmed animal sanctuary. Uh, but, 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 uh, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I don't think we can claim only anymore. Uh, okay, well, you but, can be uh, first. <laughs> first is always but, good. Uh, yeah, so so what, what should I tell you? It all began uh, 15 years ago this month when um, uh, Miriam Jones and I uh, accidentally found a chicken in a ditch by the side of the road uh, for the f- uh, and uh, and and then within uh, a, a, a couple months uh, went ahead and incorporated a sanctuary. We were living in a part of the country where factory farming of chickens had been invented, um, and so for the first nine years of our existence, we were a small chicken sanctuary on about two and a half acres, literally surrounded by factory farms literally surrounded by factory farms and we took care of as many chickens as we could um eventually uh when we ran out of land and the well filled and many other things had happened we decided uh to try and relocate um uh to some place where we could expand uh to help even more chickens but also uh fulfill our dream of also offering refuge to survivors of dairying uh because as feminists uh we're particularly uh concerned about that uh, that particular exploitation of uh, of female animals, that gendered form of exploitation of animals, and I know you want to ask about another gendered form of exploitation of animals. Um, so, in a minute. Um, so, anyway, in, in 2009, then we relocated up here uh, to Vermont, and uh, with the aid of a very generous uh, anonymous donor, we're able to uh, procure enough land uh, to uh, 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 expand. Uh, and so now we are. Uh, on more than 100 acres, uh, more than 500 animals uh, live at the sanctuary, including about 40 cows, um, and uh, literally hundreds of birds, including chickens, ducks, doves, pigeons, emus, geese, guinea fowl, pigeons, and then because in a rural area you... If you have a sanctuary, you just end up with various animals. There's also the birds you're hearing right now, the parakeets and the doves and the uh, parrots. Um, And uh, uh, we are, as you said, uh, LGBT-run. Um, and uh, at this point, uh, of course, it's much more than two people. Uh, Ar- uh, Miriam and her partner, Aram, uh, took care of most of the expansion uh, when I took a little break from hands-on care. Uh, she had taken a break before that. And uh, uh, so it's us, but plus our uh, full-time animal caregiver, Cheryl, and her partner, and uh, some other staff members, uh, including Danielle, shout out to Danielle today, and TJ, um, and Brandy in Boston, who handles our our outreach. Um, I forget what I'm saying. Oh, oh, oh right. Well. So somehow we managed to grow from finding a chicken to 500 animals um, in 15 years, and it's really remarkable. And um, uh, on the one hand, we feel really proud, but on the other hand, we're just constantly aware of how much more we need to do, how much more we could do, how much more needs to be done. Uh, what I'm really aware of right now is just this sort of feeling of awe. I think the reason I just now launched into naming everybody is because it's so clear to me uh, that this is a collective endeavor, um, and I don't want to be like getting credit for it when actually it's a, 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 a collective endeavor. That brings me to the thing you said about uh, how we don't segregate animals here. We do do things a bit differently here. I don't know whether it's because we're the queer sanctuary or because uh, uh, most of us are from working class backgrounds or uh, because most of us are politically uh, left, uh, but it's true. Uh, we uh, do everything we can uh, to uh, ensure that the sanctuary residents uh, get to make their own decisions, um, uh, including uh, freedom of a 
association, including the freedom to make cross-species friendships if that's what they want to do. Um, and uh, uh, there are a few other things that are, that are unique about us. One of them I know you want to talk about, and that's the fighting roosters, yes? Yes, but I just want to say listening to you, it's like you are allowing Eden to <laughs> recreate itself. I just love that idea of allowing for the formation of cross-species friendships. I mean, I see this with my dog and a cat down the hall. You know, they're a little bit like, hmm, who are you? You're different. And my dog seems to be thinking, okay, I know you're not a squirrel, so I'm not going to chase you. <laughs> Let me just sniff and see how this is going to work out. I, I love that. Gosh. Yeah, yes. it's, it's really it's really beautiful to see, and we certainly don't we certainly don't denigrate sanctuaries who make other choices. Um, every sanctuary has to make really difficult choices between um, freedom and uh, balancing freedom and safety, for example, uh, sure. and other things. Uh, so you know we're not criticizing anybody else, but we just feel it's really important uh, to uh, to to have the sanctuary be a kind of multi species community. Uh, uh, in which the people don't um, the people don't rule um, unless like it's absolutely necessary. We don't intervene in decisions unless you know we really need to. I love that. So yes, let's let's do talk about the fighting cocks. I think mm-hmm. most of us, you know, we're vegan and we're aware of what goes on with factory farming and and the mm-hmm. destruction mm-hmm. of the baby boys. But mm. cockfighting, unless you're in certain parts of the country, I think just doesn't cross most people's minds. Right. So right. What, what are you doing with that? Uh, well, uh, you know, a lot of folks have been advocating against this for years. This is one of the forms of animal abuse that the general public agrees is egregiously cruel um, and is therefore illegal um, almost everywhere um, and the subject of law enforcement. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, uh, but notice that people still do it. People still do it, and they do it for a couple reasons. Same reason. Blah. I'm jumping over myself. So they still do it for a couple reasons. One has to do with money. There's a lot of gambling um, and a lot of profit to be had um, uh, uh, with uh, cockfighting, just as with horse racing, for example. Um, and the other reason has to do with gender. Um, uh, there's, it's not an accident that the word cock is also used as a rude term for the male organ. Um, that's actually true in lots of different languages. There's a really deep, long-standing historical association between roosters and maleness, with roosters being seen as some sort of uh, uber males, the emblem of maleness. Um, and so um, it's, it's extremely important uh, to people who participate in cockfighting to believe, and they truly believe, they believe they're not being cruel. They believe that, um, that roosters are just born to tear each other limb from limb limb in bloody bouts. Um, uh, 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 It's not true, of course. Uh, The roosters in cockfights fight uh, because they're traumatized, because they're terrified. Uh, Roosters in the wild, eh, they do some scuffling. It mostly looks like a dance-off. Nobody murders anybody. Uh, so, So very early in our uh, life as a sanctuary, we were taking in um, birds from uh, local factory farms, which meant we took in both males and females. And, and, and so very early on, we saw that actually roosters have no problem at all getting along with each other. Um, and so we learned uh, that the, uh, the uh, stereotypes about roosters um, uh, never being able to get along were just lies. Uh, we also got to know lots of different roosters with lots of dis- different personalities. Some of them certainly were arrogant and cocky, but others were shy and withdrawn. Others were jolly. Others were bossy. They just had different personalities, like all of us. Uh, so, again, we saw that those stereotypes were not true. And so uh, when we were asked uh, to possibly take in uh, some former fighting roosters, uh, we, we, we thought really hard, and we said, well, let's, let's try. Let's see if we can rehabilitate them. And we, we came up with a, uh, a rehabilitation plan that is uh, partly rooted in 
treatment of trauma and partly about um, unlearning uh, what the cockfighters taught them uh, and partly learning through social learning, through observing the birds here, uh, the social signals they never learned as, as chicks, uh, which are the signals that roosters use to um, resolve their differences without murdering each other. Uh, and so those three factors uh, uh, all come together, and uh, we uh, have been rehabilitating fighting roosters for my gosh, more than 10 years now, and we've taught other sanctuaries to do it, and, uh, and we're really, we're really, that's one of the things we're most proud of. That is, that is so exciting. You know, it's just this idea that no matter what a creature has been through, redemption, rehabilitation, <laughs> taking a different route is always possible. I remember listening to Quakers talk about the reason that they didn't agree with capital punishment, that as long as there's life, there is the possibility of, of uh, seeing the light. And I think that is probably species-wide, although certainly with the other species, they're uh, trained to do these antisocial things by humans who ought to know better. Yeah, and it's it, you know it can't be it's no fun uh, to be a, a, a fight, an unrehabilitated fighting rooster who's walking around constantly so sure that everybody is your enemy that you have to constantly be aware, pot, ready to strike and are getting into bloody matches where you yourself get beat up. It's just a dreadful way to live. Um, and so once once they get it, and some of the birds actually they just get it right away. They're like, oh, there's no fighting here. Oh, hey, chill. You don't even need to rehabilitate me. I am so ready for this. Um, and they just move right in, and they're fine. Others, it takes weeks. It, it might even take months. Um, but eventually, uh, they all, uh, it's like they're, it's almost like if you can imagine a person who's been like walking around all tensed up and then their shoulders relax. Yes. That's sort of like the, the difference in how they carry oh. themselves. Beautiful. We only have about three minutes to talk about Uh-oh. this, Patrice, but you. Oh, no. You are so wonderful at talking about burnout. And I think a lot of people who are interested in in veganism who listen to this show are passionate about something, and they're very familiar with burnout. What can you say in three minutes about that? I guess the thing I would say is, first of all, uh, to avoid burnout, uh, remember to respect your own animal rights. Uh, don't deprive any animal, including yourself, of adequate food, adequate rest, um, adequate opportunity for exercise um, and uh, uh, hydration, etc. Um, the other thing I would say is another thing I would say is attend to your relationships. I would also say um, find ways to express your yourself. And, uh, and, 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 the, and the final thing I would say is, like, remember that there's always lots of different things to be done. Uh, if we understand that all the different ways that animals are exploited or linked up are, are, are connected, and if we understand that actually all of that's also connected to things like global warming and all of the different ways that people violate each other, then you can see that there's about 10,000 different things that an activist could do. Um, th- that would still be contributing uh, to the cause in some way. And so uh, one thing that can be really helpful is if you're burning out on one particular tactic, one particular thing, or one particular issue, just change to a different issue. You're not, you're not giving up the struggle. You're just switching your focus, if that makes sense. Uh, that can be really useful. That makes a lot of sense to me because I, I was much more of an out there activist as a younger person. And I have all these paper pictures and photo albums of my daughter in her stroller. <laughs> We're out carrying signs and I do it differently now. And sometimes I feel a little bit guilty that I'm not doing more of that. But I think when I'm really rational, <laughs> if we're going to be rational humans about it, I'm probably doing more in, in this other role. So I think in, as time passes and given our different personalities and what we're gifted at doing, uh, you're so right. There's a place for all of us doing what we do best. 
Absolutely. Choosing to do what you do best. And also just, you know, the, giving yourself permission to, 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 to switch up. I mean, you know, many times people, it goes your way where people are more out with the signs when they're younger. But, it, you know, it could go the other way. You could be someone who's been a researcher for an anti-vivisectionist organization and your head is just going to explode from how many videos you've had to watch of animals being exploited. And what you need to do is stop doing that and get out there with a sign and start shouting at people. Um, uh, to get rid of some of that emotion, right? Yes. So, yes. Oh. so, so that's all I'm saying is is oftentimes just 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 changing up which mm. which your specific focus or or which tactic uh, you're using uh, can can be refreshing uh, for you. Well, Patrice, listening to you is refreshing. Thank you so oh, thank much. You, Everybody read The Oxen at the Intersection. Wonderful, wonderful book. Check out the Vine Sanctuary, bravebirds.org. Go That's to the right. website. You can find it on Facebook and Twitter, too. Oh, perfect. Facebook and Twitter. Would that be Vine Sanctuary or Brave yep. Birds? Uh, okay. Vine Sanctuary, yeah. And okay. if you go to our homepage, you'll find links to the Facebook and the Twitter. Fantastic. And remember also our first guest, Tara Condro with Zen Sage Cat Body. Her site is truehumanmedia.com. Next week, your publisher, Patrice, is going to be one of our guests. We're having Martin Rowe, uh, who has edited a vegan running book called Run, Eat, Think, uh, with one of his, actually two of his runners, uh, opera singer Lizette Oropisa and J.L. Fields, who also has a brand new pressure cooking book out. So we'll just be running and cooking and having so much fun like we do every week here on the Main Street Vegan Show. To all of you listening, thanks a lot. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. What if you were intentional about your life? committed to having more energy and being more vibrant. Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
culture is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as modern popular culture transmitted via mass media and aimed particularly at younger people. But can it be meaningful, spiritual even? The hosts of Pop Conscious think it can be and that it can be fun to explore too. Malena Don and Stacy Macris Ross will be your amateur cultural anthropologists examining pop culture and spirituality every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on Pop Conscious on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine? speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 